Florida State honors their late coach Bobby Bowden with an on-field tribute. Texas A&M makes Jimbo Fisher the second-highest-paid coach across the land, and I preview each of the matchups for Week 1 of the College Pick'em League. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. And now, after further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. And a personal foul on number 99 of the defense. After he tackled the quarterback, he's giving them business down there. That's a 15-yard penalty. Well, welcome in, everyone, to another edition of After Further Review. I'm Jay Smith. Thanks so much for tuning in, whether you're listening to AFR uh, as a podcast, it's it's up on uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to uh, podcasts, you can uh, subscribe and listen to AFR there. Or if you're watching on Facebook, do appreciate it. Uh, excited to get into some college football week one action. There's actually a game going on uh, right now at the time of this recording. we got UAB and Jacksonville State, uh, I think right now at halftime, 10 nothing. In favor of, of UAB, uh, it was a little slow in that first quarter, scoreless, but uh, UAB's kind of come out a little bit in the second quarter, and uh, they've got some points on the board. So again, currently leading ten to nothing. So hey, football is here. I mean, we're in the literally in the middle of a game, um, and we're going to get to some of the games this weekend. Uh, now, I did preview some games in this past week's show. Talked about which games you should be. Uh, looking out for week one, uh, but we're going to specifically dive into the college uh, pick'em league games. And if you're not in the college football pick'em league, I, I would recommend you join. Uh, it's free to play. We go through ESPN. Had uh, a couple dozen people, I want to say, uh, participate last year, and it was a ton of fun. Uh, so if you if that's something that you're interested in, uh, you want a little friendly competition, the, the pick'em league. Is a, is a cool thing that we do, and you can still, I think, join up till Saturday at noon is when the first week of, of games kick off. So you could join after that, but obviously you'd be behind the ball. Everybody else would already have their week one picks locked, and they'd probably have an edge on you in points. But we'll get to all those in a little bit later in the show. Let's start off, though, with some really touching uh, news out of, uh, out of Tallahassee. And this was, uh, this was announced today uh, by Florida State, uh, or again at the time of this recording on, on Wednesday, uh, that they would be honoring the late coach Bobby Bowden this season, uh, throughout the season, with some you know, various tributes, things that they're going to do. But one of the things uh, that they posted on, uh, I believe I saw it on Twitter, was that they're going to do on-field logos, and they're going to put his signature, the, you know, his iconic kind of um, uh, hat and, and the Bobby signature. Uh, they're going to put that on the back of the football team's helmets, and they're also going to put that at the 25-yard line uh, for, for, their, for their home game. So that's going to be uh, painted at the 25-yard uh, line opposite the ACC logos. There were a couple people that were wondering when they first saw it, okay, is this going to you know, take the place of the, the ACC logos that we typically see? They will not, so... Again, uh, you know, we're going to see some tributes to, to Bobby Bowden throughout the season. Uh, in addition, in the south end zone, they're going to put a banner up with that same logo. Uh, I, I have a feeling uh, that the banner may be a thing that lasts for, you know, beyond this, this season right now. Uh, I don't think they're going to continue doing the, the, the tribute on the field or the backs of the helmets. Uh, still, though, I mean... It's the field's already named after Bobby Bowden, right? You got Bobby Bowden Field at at Doak Campbell uh, Stadium, and you know Bowden, obviously uh, one of the greatest college football coaches of his time of all time. He won two national championships at Florida State. He helped kind of get Florida State on the map, so to speak, turn him into a national power. And uh, yeah, I mean he has a you know huge lasting impact on Florida State, and not just. Florida State, but also, you know, Clemson, right? His son, Tommy Bowden, coached at Clemson for several years in the early 2000s. I think he might have started around late 90s. But, you know, the Bowden Bowl was a was a big thing uh, when both of those, you know, when the father and son were, were still coaching at their respective schools, Florida State and Clemson. And so, you know, I remember growing up uh, watching some Bowden Bowls, and they were always great games, even though usually Florida State was the more talented uh, and, and highly ranked team. 
But, uh, you know, Clemson won a few games in there, and, and, and you know, it had a big impact on, um, on both schools. And I, I want to say the attendance record for Death Valley was set during a Bowden Bowl. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that is, the, uh, that is when Clemson set their attendance record for, for Death Valley. So, again, you know, short, small little news story here. Uh, but I think one that's worth mentioning, it's nice to see Florida State, uh, you know, tributing Bobby Bowden, a guy that's played a huge role in the history of their program, a, you know, coached there for 34 years. I mean, three and a half decades at the same school. There's only a select few number of guys across all divisions that can say something like that, you know, won 315 games uh, and then obviously passed away last month at the age of 91 of, of pancreatic cancer. So, you know, it, it's it's certainly been, I'm sure, a tough time for, for the entire Seminole Nation, whether that's, you know, former players, current players, staff. Uh, I'm sure there are several individuals in the Florida State Athletic Department who, you know, were working there when when coach Bobby Bowden was there and they've known him for a long time they've known the family so it's going to be I think a nice tribute uh, and certainly something that I'd like to see other schools you know we've seen other schools do this uh, before when it comes to to head coaches and and they've done tributes are done in different ways but I don't know I, I felt like this one by, by Florida State was especially uh, well done and uh, if they're able to execute here I think it'll be a, a nice way to remember uh, Bobby Bowden this this season. Next thing we want to get to, uh, we, we talked about it in in the the opening line. It's um, it's Jimbo Fisher. Uh, he is now the second highest paid coach across the land, uh, only behind Nick Saban, which is uh, I think I'm surprised to be honest with you. I, I'm surprised, and I know that. You know, his initial contract, right, that 10-year, $75 million contract, which was just mind-boggling at the time because, yes, he had taken Florida State and he had led them for eight seasons, got them to a national title uh, win, right? They actually won the national title um, back in, I think it was 2013, and he won 10 games in six of his eight seasons down in Tallahassee. So Jimbo's success at Florida State was well-documented. A&M felt like they were bringing in a winner. But still, the 10-year, $75 million contract raised a lot of eyebrows, mostly because you know, he, he was getting signed for a contract for not just a decade, but putting him at a $7.5 million evaluation per, per year and that was a contract that was longer than his entire tenure at a previous school. So it was really, I think, you know, something that a lot of people were like, well, this, this seems really, really generous. And then it took a while, right, in those, uh, in those first few years. I mean, you look at his record, right? Jimbo Fisher, in his three seasons at Texas A&M, is 26-10. That's not bad or horrible, but it's certainly not like elite level. Now, this past year was a breakthrough year, I feel like, for the Aggies. They finished with that that lone loss. They were able to beat North Carolina in their bowl game. You know, obviously they, they couldn't win the West by losing to Alabama, but they still played, I think, to a higher level than we had seen under Jimbo Fisher up till, again, last year. So, yeah, this, this new contract uh, for, tech, for Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher is a four-year extension that will increase his average annual salary to more than $9 million. So, you know, uh, again, I mean, you, you look here at the specifics. Uh, he's going to get, um, beginning January 1st, 2022, he's going to get an annual salary that uh, is $9,150,000. And it will increase by $100,000 in each of the following years with all other performance incentives that they'll stay the same. This was announced by the school. You know, and of course, Jimbo, you know, he released a statement talking about how much he appreciates the, the support 
uh, and how this speaks to the vision and the leadership of the school. I mean, you know, typical coach press release, uh, not surprised by any of that. I do think, though, this sort of contract extension, by its very nature, right, it, it, it illustrates that the A&M leadership on both the athletic side and the university side believe in what Jimbo is doing down in College Station, and they're confident that he's going to be able to get them over that hump, Alabama. That's who we're talking about here. Jimbo will be able to get them over that hump relatively soon. You know, the Aggies are sixth in the preseason poll. Uh, They were one spot out of the CFP last season. Again, they finished uh, with, uh, with eight straight wins. They beat North Carolina fairly decisively in that Capital One Orange Bowl, 41-27, to and they finished ranked fourth. So I think, again, with the way they've played this past season and just continuing to trend in a positive direction, clearly the, the A&M leadership felt like that this was the right call. I, I'm still not certain that a deal this lucrative is warranted for Jimbo Fisher until he gets into an SEC championship game, right? Like, I don't think that's a huge ask. I mean, you know, when you're hiring, especially in the SEC, your expectation is win the division, play for a conference championship, because you full well know a conference championship for the SEC is an automatic put you in the playoff. There's just no way that you would make the playoff if you were an SEC champion. I mean, just with unless something crazy was going on across all of college football. More, you know, nine times out of ten, if you win the SEC, you get into the CFP. So the goal, if you're in the SEC and you're a middle tier team, is you got to win your division. What do we need to do to win our division? The answer to that question for Texas A&M is you got to beat Alabama. And Alabama, yes, they're rebuilding. Yes, they lost so much talent uh, as they do, it seems, every year. But Alabama is still Alabama, and they're not going anywhere. And so I think, again, you know, happy for Jimbo Fisher, certainly that he got his contract extension. It's interesting that this came prior to an SEC championship appearance uh, by the Aggies under Jimbo Fisher. So, you know, again, we'll, we'll see how this all pans out. Uh, if you look at at Texas A&M's you know schedule this year and and how things shake out for them, uh, it's you know there's I mean SEC is right now the, the deepest conference. I mean there's been a lot of back and forth, a lot of discussion about it lately, and, and if conferences could challenge that. And I just don't think at right now that anyone could make a legitimate argument that any other conference comes close in terms of the depth. But, you know, you you look at the West for Texas A&M and you look at their schedule this season. They start with three cupcake games, okay? Kent State, Colorado, and New Mexico. That's 3-0 and right there. You're going to play Arkansas and Mississippi State, so you're sitting at 5-0, and relatively unchallenged, I would say. And you've got the big game of your year at, I'm sorry, you're hosting Alabama October 9th. That right there will determine the West for for A&M and and the entire rest of the division. I mean, I just don't think at Missouri, South Carolina, Auburn, Old Miss, or even LSU will will really be able to cause... Uh, any sort of derailment for the Aggies' hopes. Now, the LSU game being a road game late November, if things do shake up, that could be a big game to watch for. But really, A&M is looking at the Alabama game and I guess the LSU game, and that's basically it. I I just, you know, there's nothing else that sticks out on this schedule um, in terms of a team that'll challenge the Aggies. If they play to the same level they played at last year, A&M should be comfortably looking at one, possibly two losses this season. But I think if you're A&M, you should have the expectation of double-digit wins. And that, by this contract extension, I think they're expecting it. I think they're looking at the schedule. They're looking at the past year. They're looking at, okay, Jimbo's now, what, 26-10? and 10? 
kind of going, hey, uh, this guy, he's our guy. So we'll see. We'll see if the Aggies, uh, if they're able to put together a season that could possibly get them a spot in an SEC championship game in Georgia, which, again, pretty much would be able to springboard you into a, a CFP slot. And if at the, very, at the very least, you'd be in the discussion. You would become a part of the discussion for those four teams, and it'd be really hard to, to make a case against the Aggies if they're able to run the table against everybody except for, for Alabama. I mean, if A&M is sitting there at the end of the year, 11-1, and one, you know, it would, yes, they're on the outside looking in, but crazy things can happen, and they will happen this season, so A&M could slide right in there even if they're not able to make it to Atlanta. It's just going to Atlanta, you control your own destiny, you have a greater likelihood of success, so that's where I feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's beneficial, certainly. So, again, interesting news out of College Station, and congrats to Jimbo on his four-year contract extension. Okay, let's, let's take a break. We're going to come back, and we are going to preview each of the matchups for week one of the College Pick'em League. we got ten games to go through. We're going to break them all down. That's next. Welcome back to the show. Again, thanks so much for tuning in to After Further Review. I'm Jay Smith, and we've, we talked about uh, we, we talk about Jimbo Fisher and the contract extension. Talked about the Bobby Bowden tribute, uh, and now let's get into some games, right? We, we we've got uh, we got tons of college football games these next few days. It's it's week one, and there's so many games to watch uh, and and to pay attention to. But we're gonna break down. The 10 games in our Pick'em League. Again, if you are not in the AFR College Pick'em 2021 group, why? Why are you not in the group? You should be in the group. Uh, if you want to go to the AFR Instagram page, just uh, After Review Show, at After Review Show on Instagram, the link in our bio will take you to the Pick'em League homepage, and there you can you know, submit your picks and join the group. Just try to be sure to get in there before this Saturday. Uh, you know, it's it's obviously more enjoyable when everybody starts at the same level and nobody's a week behind or anything like that. So be sure to get your picks in prior to this weekend. Again, the link for that group is on our Instagram's uh, homepage in the in the bio. So check that for more information. Okay, let's uh, let's start with the first game here. We got Penn State and Wisconsin. Number 19, Nittany Lions taking on the number 12, Badgers. Uh, right now, interestingly, Wisconsin is at 82% uh, favored here over Penn State at 18. And when you look at the, the preview of this game, you know, what sticks out to me is, is, is really defense. I mean, this is going to have two of the better defenses in the Big Ten with, with Penn State you know, and Wisconsin going head-to-head here. And I think it's really going to come down to what quarterback is able to make plays on third downs. And not even just third downs, but, but first and second down, if you're able to get positive yardage plays and you're moving the ball forward, even if it's only two, three, four yards, you know, a little dink and dunk down, a little bubble screen maybe, uh, shovel pass, that kind of stuff. If you can get the ball out in space, if you can move the ball and, and and keep moving forward, keep the defense on their heels, and convert on third downs, that's really going to be the key, I think, to winning this type of football game because, you know, these are some stout defenses that we're looking at here. Uh, moving the change, moving the chains is going to come at a premium. I mean, this, this is, uh, you know, again, two of the better defenses in the Big Ten. And, um, you know, you, you look at Wisconsin's quarterback, Mertz, right? He's going to have receivers. He has some skilled players. But he's going to be – he's going to need to be able to, to read the defense, connect with his guys, and manage the game all at once, right? So, so it's going to require a little bit more out of him than we've seen. On the Penn State side with Sean Clifford, uh, you know, he has the talent to do a little bit of everything, and he has some weapons who can go deep and burn a defense in their secondary. Uh, but again, I'm expecting both defenses to play fantastic. I think running is going to be uh, a struggle for both of these teams. I think it's going to come down to the passing attack 
getting the ball in space, you know, make a few guys miss. You gotta, you gotta break, you know, or avoid those open field tackles. And who knows, you know, a couple chunk plays could literally be the difference here. I mean, it could come down to special teams or a couple chunk yardage plays, and um, and that could be the difference. So I, I'm expecting a close game throughout. Uh, you know, I, I think momentum will play a factor in, in terms of, you know, the defenses and how they're performing. Obviously, if, if a defense forces a turnover, that has huge impact on the momentum and, the, and just the feel of a game. So I think it's going to be a, a lower scoring affair, uh, and, and I'm expecting uh, Wisconsin to, to pull out probably within a, a score though. If this is if this is more than a 10 point differential, I would be I'd be surprised. I really would be because again you're looking at two stout defenses and two quarterbacks that are still trying to get their footing, and it's week one, right? It's week one. So just because you've got those weapons to go deep doesn't mean you have the chemistry and the reps to be able to execute in that type of uh, big game uh, environment. So going to go with the Badgers there. Uh, next game up. So Oklahoma and Tulane. Now this game was originally scheduled to be played at Tulane, which I thought was kind of interesting that Oklahoma would travel to New Orleans to play Tulane. Now obviously with the uh, hurricane that's... Um, has recently come through New Orleans. Uh, Tulane has, has had to, to move the location of the game, and it will be played in Norman. The only uh, note there is that Oklahoma is still technically the away team. Yes, you did hear me correctly. Oklahoma is playing at home and is still marked as the away team. I'm not 100% certain if they'll actually wear away uniforms or, or how that's going to work, but... For their intents and purposes, this is an away game for the Sooners. And so uh, Tulane, again, technically hosting a game uh, from from Norman, Oklahoma. So uh, anyway, but the actual game itself, right? Let's get into the actual game itself. Listen, Oklahoma has way more firepower than Tulane. Way more firepower. The problem, I think, that'll that'll come out of this game for Oklahoma is it's going to show up in bursts. They're not going to play consistent 60 minutes of football. Certainly, I am expecting you know some early scoring drives. You know the defense is going to shut down Tulane. It's going to feel like it's going to be just a beatdown. But I am expecting Tulane to kind of find a groove in the second half and and maybe late in that second quarter and 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 possibly put together some some impressive drives. Uh, I don't know if they have the skill players to compete with Oklahoma for 60 minutes. And again, Tulane's a team that loves running the ball, right? Really, Willie Fritz, the head coach, his ground attacks have always been fantastic. Uh, they're, they're explosive on the ground. Offense, not, I'm sorry, passing on offense, not so much. Uh, so they're, they're a run-heavy team. They do have experienced receivers, so we could see an attempt to be more of a balanced approach here for Tulane. Um, you know, Michael Pratt, quarterback, he's so far been a pretty impressive uh, young passer guy, you know, and, and they have veterans on their offensive line, right? This is an O-line that has a ton of experience. That's what's helped them run the ball effectively in the past. But in order to throw the ball, you got to be good at pass protection. And Tulane, uh, because they have not focused on passing, that could be challenging for them in this sort of matchup. So, you know, I think, again, Oklahoma um, is, is the more talented team, the more experienced team. And even when you look at the Oklahoma defense, which I know we don't talk about very much because, you know, it's a Big 12 defense and they're pretty porous, but... Oklahoma's defense for Big 12 standards is pretty stout. I'm not saying they're a rock, but they're they're good enough, I think, to, to hold Tulane and force them to throw the ball, which can lead to mistakes, you know, dumb turnovers, bad decisions, and those are the kinds of things that when you're playing, quote, at home, even though it's a really it's a road game for Tulane, you just you're not gonna be able to come back from. You're gonna go down two to three scores going into the half, and you're not going to be able to, to pull yourself out of that hole. So I'm expecting Oklahoma 
to to win this one pretty handily. I'd say by at least three scores. And uh, and again, I think Tulane might keep it close for a little while, but the Sooners ultimately will will pull away and they'll win this one. All right, next up, game three of our uh, week one college pick'em slate is Alabama and Miami. We talked about this game actually uh, last week's show. We said, is the U back? And my my answer to that question was, well, we'll know if the U is back if they're able to, to take down Alabama or compete with Alabama. Now, saying you're going to and actually doing it are two completely different things, and I'm not really certain, even with Miami having Derek King back after that ACL injury last year, that they're really going to be able to compete with Alabama. Uh, what was really interesting when I was doing preparation for the show here and, and digging through notes is that uh, unless, unless I missed a matchup, uh, this is the first time Alabama and Miami have played since the 1993 Sugar Bowl, and that was a Crimson Tide victory 34-13 to over the Canes. But we don't need to go back to 1993 to look at Alabama dominating Miami. Let's just look at their season opener history. Like, you want real dominance? Let's look at Alabama in season openers. The last loss for in a season opener for Alabama, got to go back to 2001, UCLA. Nick Saban, they've gone up against Michigan, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, Wisconsin, USC, Florida State, Louisville, Duke, and Missouri. All wins, 9-0 by double digits. And the combined score of those nine victories, 351 to 113. So that's an average of 40 points a game to 12. That's blowout. That's blowout level. Blowout level. You have to go back to 2006, actually, a 25 to 17 win over Hawaii of all teams for to find a, a, an Alabama season opener that was within a possession. 2006. That's 15 years ago. So why we would expect the trend to stop now? Uh, I'm not seeing the evidence. I mean, Miami, look, they may become the second best team in the ACC by the time this year is over, or at least in the top three or four. I think the you know UNC and Miami right now are still kind of battling for that second spot, but Miami is is certainly in that discussion. But they're not be they're not ready or able to compete with with an Alabama team, even a rebuilt you know rebuilding year Alabama team. Uh, their Alabama's offense is going to be terrific, lightning. Uh, fast and firing on all cylinders, uh, but you can't count out the Alabama defense, and I think that's what's ultimately going to be the difference in this game. Because listen, last year, right, Alabama was scoring, 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 and they had no defense. Like their defense was ext- for SEC Alabama anyone's standards. Honestly, it was a very porous defense. I mean, I was watching Old Miss, right? My, you know, there as a grad student, watching Old Miss just score almost at will against Alabama up until the last few minutes of the fourth quarter when when Alabama pulled away, but it was the craziest thing I had ever seen. I had not seen such a a weak Alabama defense performance, a weak defensive performance since Clemson demolished Alabama in the uh, 2018-2019 National Championship. Uh, Was it 40... 17 is that the right I feel like that's the right uh, score but right it had been a long time it had been several uh, several years so Alabama's defense has you know they've gone back they've watched tape uh, they, they figured out what they uh, need to do to improve this season and so I think for Miami they don't need to be as worried about Alabama's offense as they need to be worried about Alabama's defense so I'm expecting a pretty dominant performance here in the season opener for Alabama. Uh, I, I just don't think it's going to be close. You know, we've gone through this history of Alabama and season openers these past couple decades, and it's just not close. I mean, you can tune in and watch it. I'm sure many will, but 
Yeah, I think Crimson Tide take care of that one pretty handily. All right, let's look at Indiana and Iowa. This is a really good Big Ten matchup. I said that on last week's show. I said you got the high uh, octane, you know, fast moving Indiana offense led by Michael Penix Jr. against that kind of tough wall defense that is Iowa and the physical nature of that football team. Um, you know, again, uh, I think this the outcome of this game is going to kind of set the tone for what type of team will succeed in the Big Ten this season. Because, look, you know, Indiana and Iowa, they're not Ohio State, but they're two pretty good football teams in the Big Ten, and you're going to need to be able to compete with both of these teams if you want to have a shot at playing in a Big Ten title game. So, you know, if you're Penn State, if you're Wisconsin, if you're Ohio State, if you're in the hunt in the Big Ten, you're watching the outcome of this game very, very closely. What works, what doesn't work, what can be, you know, tweaked and improved upon, what were the game plans going into this, um, you know, how, how, were, how did both teams kind of try to create mismatches, those sorts of things I'm certainly going to be watching for. Uh, the Iowa offense is what could put them in a bit of a hole, right? It's going to have to be better than it was last year. I don't think they're going to have any issues on the ground. Moving the ball on the ground hasn't been an issue for Iowa, but there is no deep ball threat right now for for the uh, the Hawkeyes. It just doesn't exist. And, you know, they weren't very efficient on offense last year. Uh, Indiana has a really good front seven, especially a good front four. So if they're able to shut down the run, make Iowa one-dimensional on offense, Hawkeyes are going to be relying on their defense to shut down Indiana, which may happen. But as we saw last year, you know, Indiana gave a lot of good Big Ten teams fits. And, uh, and I think, you know, if Iowa wants to stay in this ballgame and, and compete and possibly pull out a victory, they're going to need to be more solid on, on offense. Uh, and if you're, if you're Indiana, you know, uh, you've got um, to limit, you know, the negative plays by Iowa because Iowa's going to get in your backfield. They're going to cause disruption. You can't turn the ball over. Get rid of the ball. You know, don't take a sack. Um, you know, most of the top tacklers for the Hawkeyes are coming back. There's a great rotation up front. Again, that solid front seven for Iowa. Secondary is pretty strong. These guys in the back are fast, they're versatile, and they're, they're going to be able to hold their own. They're going to be able to hold their own against that Indiana passing game. So I think ultimately, uh, if, if the Hoosiers can't throw well, if they can't get the ball down the field through the air, it's going to be a big problem because the running thing, I don't. it's not going to be sustainable for Indiana. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting a very close ball game. Uh, I think you know this being a home game for Iowa bodes very well for them. Listen, Indiana last year, it's not, I don't think they're a fluke. I don't think it's a fluke. They're a fluke, but they they did win a lot of games without much of a ground attack, right? It was not kind of all through the air, and that's not sustainable in terms of going up against a solid team with a solid defense. Uh, they got guys that can fly all over the field, um, you know, you can't rely on Penix to carry your offense. Okay, You can't be a one-man band and win a bunch of games. Iowa's going to be methodical. Uh, they may let Penix be effective or, or have some big plays, but they're, they're going to be, I think, very calculated about how they pr- approach this Indiana team. I'm expecting a great game. It's going to be a one-possession game, but ultimately I think Iowa is going to pull out the win, and I think the Hawkeyes will take down the Hoosiers. All right, one last game here in uh, in this segment. We're going to take a break and then come back to wrap up the last five games. We've got West Virginia, the Mountaineers, taking on Maryland, the Terrapins, uh, in in a you know a game that uh, I think still, even though it may not be uh, on everybody's radar, it's it's one that's worth uh, tuning uh, into, and you know the reasons why are. Are, are, are as follows here. I mean, you've got, um, you know, a great 
West Virginia defense, fourth in the nation actually last year in total defense, first in the Big 12, so a stout defense even by Big 12 standards. Um, really impressed with, uh, with what Neil Brown has done with that uh, Mountaineers defense. They have a great secondary. Uh, they allowed a, uh, uh, only 160 yards per game. That was the lowest in the country last year. Very, very impressive, uh, considering they're coming from a conference in the Big 12 where it's a predominant passing league, right? To only allow 160 yards through the air, that's... Uh, that's impressive. That's that's really impressive numbers. So for Maryland, you know they're going to have to figure out a way to run the ball effectively and also still throw the ball through the air. Right? They can't be one-dimensional. They have to be balanced. They can't just be explosive. They can't rely on these huge chunk plays through the ground. I'm sorry, through the air on the ground in order to, to win this game for them. Uh, you know, you look back at West Virginia. From 2020, they lost four games last year. And all of those four times, when you looked at their opponents and you looked at the game summary, they lost to teams that had an off an offense. The other team had an offense that was able to run well and throw effectively. Key word, they were balanced. So if you've got a balanced offense that can run and throw, it bodes well for you against a really good West Virginia defense. And Maryland has talent at receiver. Uh, they've got, uh, you know, a lot of skill guys there. So I'm expecting um, some, some, some solid plays out of Maryland. I'm expecting some chunk plays, but as long as they don't rely on that as their only way to move the football, I think Maryland will be in good shape. Unfortunately, though, you know, I still don't necessarily think it's going to be enough for them to to win this game. This is you know a home game for Maryland, so West Virginia will be traveling. But uh, I've just I I was so impressed last year with what I saw out of West Virginia and their defense and and how stout it was. I think they're going to be able to limit Maryland just enough to squeak out a very very close uh, road win, but a great road win. Nonetheless, so I am picking West Virginia in uh, in that matchup. All right, let's take one last break. We're going to come back and break down the last five games of the uh, Pick'em League for Week One. That's next. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to the show. Last segment of this episode of After Further Review. Again, really appreciate you tuning in, whether you're listening to AFR uh, as a podcast on, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to a podcast, you can uh, search after further review, follow the show, uh, download them, uh, get the, uh, the latest episodes right there on your phone, or if you're watching on Facebook, do appreciate that as always. we got five games left that we want to break down and talk about here. I'm going to offer my predictions on, and again, these are the five remaining games in the uh, the week one slate of the college pick'em league. Uh, we have uh, let's see what's what's next up on the slate. We got Texas and uh, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. Um, this is uh, you know this is an offense in the Raging Cajuns that last year was pretty impressive. Uh, they, they beat Iowa State, a good Matt Campbell, Iowa State team. They averaged 34 points a game, 423 yards. Uh, and in terms of offensive production, they get everybody back except for two of their running backs, Elijah Mitchell and Trey Reagan. So a lot of offensive firepower is returning for Louisiana. You got Levi Lewis, the quarterback, going into his fifth year. He's a veteran. Uh, the offensive line should be one of the best in the Sun Belt, and I think they're poised well for a great season. And this Texas defense has a long way to go to being considered elite. This new coaching staff for Texas can only do so much right in an offseason, and they're going to need to uh, shore up some things on, on the defensive side of the ball if they want to be able to contain Louisiana. I mean, it's it's it sounds you know you look at it on paper and you go, eh, there's no way Louisiana they're gonna beat Texas. Not so fast, my friend. Not so fast. 
you know, it it may it may be that uh, that Texas's defense is playing stout, and they're they're coming out and they're shutting down the raging Cajun offense. But uh, then you go and you look at Louisiana's defense, and they're getting back almost all the top tacklers from a group last year that was brilliant at taking the ball away. Uh, most efficient uh, teams against the pass in the country last year, one of the most efficient teams against the pass. Um, so a stout, stout on both sides of the ball for Louisiana. Um, however, you know, for Texas, uh, there's a ton of experience on defense. You know, that back eight is led by guys like linebacker um, DeMarvion uh, Overshone and some safeties that have a ton of experience. So, uh, you know, if you're Texas, you, you, can't, um, you, know, you can't go into this with the mindset of, well, you know, we're, we're you know, soon to be an SEC school and, and all this other stuff. We're Texas. There's no way Louisiana can compete with us. No, you got to show up. You got to commit. To, to play in a full 60 minutes um, and, uh, and and really, you know, treat these opponents seriously. Treat Louisiana, a Sunbelt team, seriously. You know, a team that, that moved the ball very well last year on offense, was stout on defense, and you have to remember that the Raging Cajuns beat Iowa State to start 2020. You know, it, it was a sloppy game. They, they gained less than 300 yards, but... They, they fought in the trenches, and they figured out a way to pull out, right? They, they were plus two in the turnover margin, came up with a, uh, you know, a kickoff and a punt return for a touchdown, found a way to win the game. Uh, so Texas cannot make the same mistakes they have been making these past few seasons with regards to, you know, sloppy play, not executing, whether that's offense, defense, special teams, because Exhibit A – we just talked about it, right? The Raging Cajuns, they are a scrappy group of guys, and they will beat you if you're not uh, if you're not paying attention. It's going to be a fight. I think this game is going to be much closer than the you know other predictions I've seen. You know, some people are saying, "Oh, Texas is going to blow them out. It'll be three or four scores." Uh, I, I'm not so I'm not so certain of that. I think you're going to have to play a full 60 minutes against these guys if. You, uh, if you want to get it done. Ultimately, and I know I've been higher, it sounds like, on Louisiana than on Texas. Ultimately, I do think Texas wins this football game, but I think it could serve as a wake-up call for, for the Longhorns. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Louisiana won this football game. I mean, I, you know, it, it's that close and you have to take these guys seriously. You have to look at their past performance. You've got to look at, at, at who their skill players are, the experience they have on both sides of the ball. Texas still has a lot of questions, more questions than answers on defense. So I wouldn't be surprised if Louisiana is hanging around deep in the fourth quarter. Ultimately, though, I think the Longhorns will win the season opener for them. Next game up on the slate, we got Texas Tech and Houston. The Red Raiders and the Cougars, uh, they, uh, they're kicking off Saturday night, uh, September 4th at 7 Eastern on, uh, on ESPN. Um, and this is uh, going to be, I think, an interesting interesting ball game. Right? You've got, uh, you got Dana Holgerson right now at Houston. His first year uh, was, was last year, 2020. Uh, he had all his pieces in place for 2020, and then we all know what happened in 2020 with COVID and uh, everything that uh, you know that went wrong there. So certainly he's looking to 2021 uh, with more optimism. You know the defense for for Houston uh, is hopefully going to be better than it was these last few seasons. They're getting almost all their starters back on offense and defense. A lot of the key tacklers are returning. Uh, a lot of their their skill players are returning. You know, is Houston a brick wall on defense? No, they're not. But they still are pretty stout. These guys can tackle in space. They can stuff the run. And I think they're going to get better. They're going to get better now that the coach has been there. He's kind of able to get his you know system in place, his game plan, and what he expects from the guys. 
Uh, and, and so I think, you know, Houston should be well prepared for this for this matchup. Now, if you look at the Red Raiders, you look at Texas Tech, it's a team that's got a good group of running backs, a veteran offensive line, uh, but, uh, you know, they got a transfer Oregon transfer quarterback, Tyler Show, and uh, he is, um, you know, a guy that's, I think, got skills to be a, a pretty, you know, high round draft pick, you know, eventually. I mean, if everything comes together for their offense and it becomes more Texas Tech, like, again, Texas Tech is a school that produced Patrick Mahomes. So there is the Red Raiders, while they're overlooked a lot, they have skill, especially at the quarterback position. Uh, these past few years, they've been able to, to put out a lot of, uh, of a lot of talent. I mean, you even go back to, like, Michael Crabtree, right? Long time ago, wide receiver. Uh, the Red Raiders on offense... They can put some guys out uh, into the NFL. Defensively, Texas Tech is one of the schools that really benefited from this whole super senior rule that the NCAA put out, right? The whole thing of, you know, you you don't lose any year of eligibility, you can come back, everybody can do their thing, because instead of losing everybody, Texas Tech is returning 11 of the top 13 tacklers. And they started last year with one of the best linebacking groups that they've had in a long, long time. Uh, the real question for this game, and I think what will determine the outcome, is can Texas Tech actually play defense consistently for 60 minutes? They weren't awful last year, but they were not good enough to uh, overcome the issues that their offense put them in, right? The, the whole, the, you know, the offense was struggling and so when the defense would go to bail them out, they weren't strong enough on defense to bail out that offense and, you know, lost games because of that. So if the quarterback situation settled, you know, if Tyler Show is able to come in, that Oregon transfer, get acclimated, uh, and produce results on the offensive side of the ball, I think it bodes well for him. Uh, and against Houston, you know, Texas Tech, should be able to establish at least a running game and sort of a mid-range passing attack. And I think that'll be more than adequate. You know, if, if as long as his show, the quarterback, doesn't turn the ball over, puts together some solid 60, 70, 80-yard scoring drives, uh, I think ultimately the Red Raiders will prevail. Houston should keep pace. This should be a close game at half, and it should be interesting to watch. But ultimately... I think uh, Texas Tech is going to uh, is going to pull away, and I think they're going to come out with the with the W. How many games we got left? We got three games, three games left. Well, you know this next game. It's it's all anybody's talking about. Uh, it's Clemson and Georgia. So the Tigers taking on the Bulldogs. First uh, first meeting between these two schools since was twenty twenty fourteen. Season opener at Georgia between the Hedges down in Athens. You had 2013 at, uh, at Clemson. Uh, again, these you know, schools uh, traded games. Clemson won at Death Valley and Georgia won in, in Athens. Uh, so a lot of excitement around this game, right? It's college game day is going to be there. Game of the week uh, playing in, uh, in Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Should be a super exciting game. Uh, for Clemson, they're coming off a pretty disappointing season last year. I mean, I would say the way they finished the year, the, the way that you know they, they started almost getting into the politics of the playoff and who should be where, and you know Sweeney made some comments about where Ohio State should be ranked. And at the time, I just thought those were just very poorly worded comments, and really comments that he would not, I don't think, have made five years ago. Uh, but, you know, either way, I don't think those comments necessarily had anything to do with their performance on the field. I just think they kind of opened the door almost to, to more criticism than they probably would have gotten. If, if no one had said anything, if Dabo had not said, you know, these guys, they shouldn't even be in the top ten. If he had just said, well, you know, they put them in the top five, we're going to play them, and they had gotten beat, People would have been like, wow, that, that wasn't a great look for Clemson, but, hey, you know, they, they, they'll get them next year. They'll be back next year. They'll win the ACC. But because Dabo had to come out, open his mouth, and, car- and keep talking about how, you know, it's ridiculous they only played six games and why are they ranked in the top ten and all this, and then he gets smacked. 
I mean, that was one of the worst losses I have seen by Clemson in the last decade. They got absolutely torched by Ohio State for 60 minutes. Uh, and, you know, I felt really bad for Trevor Lawrence and a lot of the seniors that have to go out that way. I mean, talk about a bitter taste in your mouth. Um, you know, it was hardly a rebuilding year. I mean, you had, uh, you know, talent everywhere, offense, defense. Trevor Lawrence was in his last season. It was really just no excuse. The only thing really went wrong for Clemson was that they hadn't faced a solid opponent like that all year, especially one on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, for Clemson, uh, they uh, they expect to win an ACC championship. Uh, that's really not their goal anymore, even though it still is. It's it's just part of that process to getting to the playoff. Clemson wants to be in the playoff every single year, and if they're not in the playoff, it would be a huge disappointment. They they haven't missed one since 2015, uh, the second year that the playoff uh, began. So you got DJ uh, Uyunglele, a quarterback now. Um, he is, uh, you know, a guy that we watched last year against Notre Dame on the road take us to, what, double overtime? Almost found a way to win. Uh, certainly, I'm expecting some jitters, okay? He's not a machine. You know, even Trevor Lawrence, now we're seeing in the NFL at Jacksonville, you know, these guys are human beings, but uh, a guy with phenomenal talent, phenomenal weapons around him, and uh, it's Clemson, right? Clemson has as much talent as anyone Coaching is as good as anybody else in the country. And if there's anything less than an ACC championship and a trip to the CFP, people would be, be shocked. For Georgia, I know I talked a lot about Clemson, but for Georgia, uh, it's really, I think, going to come down to will Clemson be able to move the ball on the ground? Travis Etienne is gone now, right? He's, he's, he's down there in Jacksonville with the Jaguars. Uh, I know he wasn't super dominant stat-wise last season. Um, and I said that at the time. I said, you know, this has really not been the year that a lot of people, myself included, thought E-Team was going to have in his last season. But if Clemson, you know, fills that hole with, with their very deep roster at running back and they're able to move the ball on the ground, it could be tough for, for Georgia. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be one of those things where we'll, we'll have to sort of wait and see. Now, the Bulldog defense has reloaded with some next-level talents, right? This rotation on the on the defensive line is killer and can compete with anybody in the country. And you could even have, honestly, there could be four or five, maybe even six top first or second round picks in the draft these next couple years here, 2020 to 2023. I mean, there really are. There's some phenomenal guys. Um, but obviously... The spotlight for Georgia is going to be on JT Daniels. This is the best starting quarterback in the Kirby Smart era down in Athens. And, um, you know, his uh, progression as a quarterback, I think, has is, is been very exciting to watch. Uh, and he has given Georgia that downfield passing attack, deep ball accuracy that they desperately needed, that they needed to win those games that they've come up short in these past couple of years. They haven't had that in a long time, probably since Aaron Murray, I would say. They really had a guy that is accurate with the deep ball to a point where it can be lethal uh, for for an opposing defense. And the O-line for Georgia is super stout, solid. Uh, I I expect, you know, JT Daniels to be well protected. Um, you got to think, though, uh, that Clemson is probably the team I would favor if this is a shootout. If this comes down to it's just offense, 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 there's no defense, no one can stop anybody, I think it favors the Tigers. If it's a lower-scoring sort of slobber knocker game where there's mistakes, maybe there's momentum swings, you know, punts and field position become a, become a huge thing, that could favor Georgia. Um it's, it's really going to be, I think, dependent on how Clemson's defense, which has struggled against solid offenses since 2018, really. I mean, they, last year they were dominant in defense was 2018. There's been a few years since Clemson's had a solid, elite defense, and, uh, and that's going to play a huge factor in, I think, how this game plays out. Really, though, regardless of who 
wins this game. This game's about the loser. This game is about the loser. If it's if it's a close battle, it comes down to the very end, someone kicks a field goal the last couple seconds, both these teams are not really going to be out of the college football playoff discussion. They'll still be in the just you know the talk about oh they could be one of the teams that slip in. Uh, maybe they, they you know they don't necessarily have the luxury of being on the inside. You know they need some things to happen for them to get in. But Clemson, this doesn't hurt them in the ACC. Georgia, it doesn't hurt them in the SEC. If both of these schools go on to win their respective conference championships, it will matter. This game will not have mattered. I mean, it will affect the seeding of where those teams get placed in the CFP, but this really is more about the loser. Now, if it's a complete obliteration of either Clemson or Georgia, it's a completely different discussion, and it evolves into a okay uh, wow, um, you know, either Georgia looks really, really good and Clemson looks crappy, or Clemson looks really, really good and Georgia looks crappy. You know, I think it's going to be a physical, hard-hitting football game. They were in 2013 and 2014. Uh, you've got two national championship-caliber football teams taking the field. It's, it's you know, it's really going to come down to just a couple of things, um, you know, Obviously, Clemson's got a, a new guy in there, a quarterback. He's he, you know doesn't have a ton of experience, but uh, I think ultimately it'll be uh, it'll be Clemson that pulls away uh, with, with this with this win. And you know again, this is this is one that's a coin flip. I mean, really, it, it's probably going to be I think a, either a one possession game or or maybe th- three points. Could be a field goal that separates these two teams. Uh, at, at the end of the day, this is going to be a must-watch football game. I would—I don't think it's a stretch to say this will be a top-five football game. We'll see all year. I really don't. I think this is going to be great for the entire uh, 60, 60 minutes. All right, we got two matchups left. No, we spent a lot of time on that one, but man, that's just such a fun game to talk about. And we haven't—we haven't had that much hype for a season opener, really, it feels like since Clemson and Georgia played each other back in the 2013-2014. I mean, this used to be a big rivalry back in the early 1900s up through the 1980s, and they just didn't play each other for a while. Uh, And so it's exciting to see Clemson and Georgia renew that rivalry. It is an actual rivalry. Both schools list uh, their, you know, the respective other ones as as actual rivals. So it's, uh, it's pretty neat to see. All right, LSU... And UCLA. This is, uh, this is our second to last game on the slate. Kicking off uh, 8.30 Eastern out in uh, Pasadena uh, at the Rose Bowl on Fox. Uh, it's Saturday night. Um, LSU. Are they going to be good again? Now, LSU is never going to return to the 2019 level. That's almost like video game numbers just... You know, it's not fair. They're just going to whip everybody. Uh, But they're not going to be as bad as they were in 2020. I, at the time, you know, came out and said it's crazy to assume that LSU is going to pick up where they left. A lot of people said, oh, LSU, right? They're top five, top ten. You know, they'll they'll be in the top 15 all season. I said, you're absolutely out of your mind. They're going to be lucky to go 500. They went 500. And that was because a few things went their way at the end of the year. Um... With that being said, though, I didn't expect them to be awful forever. I mean, I knew it was it, they were going to get back to a point where they were competing again. The question, though, is being in the West and having Alabama and having A&M above them, they're really on the outside looking in. There's going to have to be a lot of things that go their way in order for the Tigers to have a shot, even a, a chance, at playing in Atlanta. Uh, this is a you know, big game, though, for them to come out, win a season opener, a uh, road game, tough road game all the way across the country uh, in, um, in Pasadena, out, out in L.A. And, um, you know, I think while UCLA looked great in that win over Hawaii 44-10 to last week, that's not the same caliber of opponent we're going to see from, from LSU. I think, um, I think ultimately... Um, LSU, you know, it may take them a few quarters to get moving. Uh, and, and UCLA, expect them to come out red hot, right? The defense is going to be flying all over the field. 
you know, I think the Bruins may come out to a, a you know one or two score lead early on. Social media is probably going to go crazy. You know, LSU, LSU, what's happening? <laughs> the ship is sinking. Uh, but LSU is going to work their way back, and I think uh, I think ultimately, you know, it'll it'll end up being a pretty close game, and, and I'd expect for UCLA to really put on a an impressive performance. You know, it might be that uh, that it comes down to uh, you know turnover or some sort of crazy play. You know, but I'm expecting, and I know this is you know a little a little. Uh, I, I mean, I'm picking. I'm picking LSU. I'm picking LSU. I know I, I just hyped up UCLA, and I know I just said that UCLA. You know, they're going to come out red hot. They're going to have all this momentum. Uh, but I think LSU has done what they need to do this off season, getting their guys in the right state of mind, the right frame of mind. We're going to put 2020 behind us. We're not going to focus on 2019. That is so far removed from where we are today that we can't even focus on that anymore. We got to come out. We got to play 2021 and be the best 2021 team we can be. So that's why I think LSU is going to ultimately prevail in this game. And this is probably the only game of week one that I think will be determined more based off will than reps and or skill. I, I do because I just think LSU believes they can get back to where they were or, you know, again, being the best version of themselves for that respective year. UCLA can still win this football game. They certainly have the firepower on offense. They proved it last week. Uh, I'm expecting a solid performance out of the Bruins, but I'm going to pick LSU in this matchup. All right, we got one game left, one more game, and then we can wrap up the show. It's been a long, long episode, uh, already over an hour, so I appreciate uh, appreciate you, you sticking around, tuning in. Uh, if you're still with us here for the Arizona BYU prediction. This is kicking. This is a late game, kicking off 10:30 Saturday night on ESPN. Um, listen, you know, you got to look at uh, at Arizona. Okay, this is um, uh, a, a team that um, has struggled the last few years. Uh, it's 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 been tough for them to establish momentum on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. But there is some experience in place. And it's, this defense should be better and more aggressive uh, than they have been in the past. You also have to consider the Zach Wilson era at BYU is officially over. It's still a really solid offense for the, for the Cougars. But when you lose the number two overall draft pick, along with some other guys on your, your, you know, your O-line, that's not ideal. That's not ideal. Uh, the Arizona... Uh, offense, you know, I think will be okay. You've got new starting quarterback Gunnar Cruz in there, um, and I expect him to, you know, come out, going to make a few mistakes. You know, he's going to get acclimated to the environment, to the game, uh, but I think he will put together some some solid drives for, for the Wildcats of Arizona. Um, you know, if you're BYU, you have to bank on exactly what I just said, right? You have to bank on it's going to take – Arizona corner quarterback Gunnar Cruz a while to get sharp offensively, and if BYU can stall that with a with a solid attack on defense, uh, and you know Jaron Hall, the new quarterback for BYU, if he gets comfortable, he gets some reps in, uh, it you know could turn into a back and forth game where it's constantly you know depending on who has the ball, uh, who has the lead, right? We are switching leads uh, every time there's a new possession. Uh, this Arizona defense, again, as I touched on, they'll be better, but they're not going to be a brick wall. BYU, on offense, uh, they lost a lot of skill players, uh, but I, I, you know, I think they will still have enough in the tank to get past the Wildcats. Going to go with BYU in this matchup. All right, so yeah, that's that's it. Those are my predictions and picks for the uh, ten games of the Week One. College Pick'em League. Again, if you're not already in our College Pick'em League, you uh, you should be in. you got to get in. I don't know why you're not already in. Just go to our Instagram page, at After Review Show. The link in the bio uh, will take you to join the 2021 AFR College 
Pick'em League group would would uh, would love to see you join there as well. But uh, yeah, that's that's all the time we've got for this edition of After Further Review. Some great games coming up this weekend. I'm excited to watch them all. Going to have some shows uh, here soon, breaking down the Week One action and uh, previewing Week Two. Man, college football is upon us. The season has uh, has officially started, and I'm checking the scoreboard right now. We've got 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. UAB's up 24-0 over Jacksonville State. So uh, apparently I didn't miss too much uh, tonight, but uh, still got tons of games later this week, uh, some games tomorrow. Actually, I'm going to really tune into you got Citadel and Coastal Carolina, uh, Boise State and UCF. Uh, there's you know East Carolina, App State. Uh, you've got uh, Ohio State, Minnesota. I mean, just just you know Friday you got UNC and Virginia Tech. I mean, I can you hear the excitement? I'm so excited. College football is back, and we're gonna have a ton of games. We're gonna be talking about breaking down here in the weeks ahead. So stick right here for all your college football updates and news. I'll be bringing it to you throughout the season. Until then, I'll see you next time. I'm Jay Smith. And this has been After Further Review.